Um, I'm really excited about the topic that I'm going to be sharing with you this evening. It's really a burden on my heart. And um, something, I don't know how many of you remember, but a while back I actually started um, this series called The Vital Signs of Life. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but um, talked about how I'm a nurse, and so I like to equate things physically to spiritually, how we relate spiritually. And um, physically, we know that we have certain characteristics or certain um, things that have to be working for us to have life. And you just see this here in this wheel where we have to have our heart that's pumping blood. Um, we have to have pulse. We need to be breathing, have, have a temperature. And our oxygen actually needs to be going somewhere in our body, right? So this is called the vital signs of life. And I started sharing this um, a little while back. Um, And then I talked about four um, crucial ways that Satan attacks our spiritual vital signs. Yeah, Arden, if you can turn off one of the lights, thanks. Um, Our our spiritual vital signs are what he's really worried about. You know, if he can kill our body, yeah, he wants to do that too. But it's actually the spiritual vital signs he's attacking. And so I'm just going to, in quick quick review, um, go back over what I shared before, because I know it's been a little while. And then we'll, we'll progress on. So we have this wheel here. I call it the discipleship wheel. It's the spirit-filled daily life of a Christian. And here you see how we've taken those vital signs. And Christ is um, the heart. He's the living word in the center. And then we have prayer on the bottom, which goes with the respiration. Faith, um, the heart rate, um, blood pressure. Obedience is the temperature and the witness is the oxygen saturation. And that's just a little um, wheel that I had made. And last time when I talked, I specifically focused on Christ being in the center. In other words, him being internalized in our hearts. Um, Not just knowing the Bible, but internalizing the Bible. Memorizing scripture. What, what um, What does scripture memory do for us spiritually? So we talked a lot about that, and that's something I'm always really excited to share about. Um, But this evening... Um, I'm going to talk about a different aspect of this vital sign circle, and that is um, faith, one of the spokes of faith. So that's what we're going to focus on this evening. Just to start off with here, um, there's a quote from Great, Great Controversy 621 that says, The season of distress and anguish before us will require a faith that can endure weariness, delay, and hunger. A faith that will not faint, though severely tried. A period of probation is granted to all to prepare for that time. I know that's a really heavy quote to start with, but um, that really lays the groundwork for the things that we're going to be talking about and sharing this evening. So to start with, let's um, bow our heads again for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with my voice this evening and that you would give me strength And Father, as we study your word and the reasons we can trust your word and what you say and that we can believe your promises, Father, I pray that you would build and boost our faith. Help us to um, realize that we can be strong in you and in the power of your might. It's not in our own strength, our own flesh, or anything that we can do. But Father, you are with us and we thank you for that. And I just pray that you'd be with us this evening as we um, talk and as I share from my heart. Thank you in your precious name. Amen. How easy is it um, 
in life to talk about something. But how much harder is it to actually do something? <laughs> it is, isn't it? Um, just this last week, I've been struggling, like I said, with getting over a cold and having this cough. And my mom's like, are you doing fomentations? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? And I was like, yeah, yeah well, sort of. Well, not really like I should be. You know, but if the situation were reversed and that was my mom or that was my sister or family member, I'd be like, we're doing fomentations. We're doing this. We're doing that. You know, it's easier to be a nurse than to, um, to be a patient, as I've learned. But anyway, this is also true in the spiritual life. It's easier to talk about these things than it is to really live them. And so I'm going to be sharing some, some personal stories this evening. First off, though, do you recognize this man? David Gates, yeah, he's, he's been a huge inspiration to me as a missionary in South America and the many things that he's done. And he's known in many circles for being a man that lives his faith and steps out on the edge. However, there's a story um, back in the very beginning of his mission experience that's really affected me, and some of you probably heard it. Um, it was where he was actually in Mexico working with his wife, and the plane he was using to help people get to medical care and deliver supplies and all these different things, it was hijacked. They were actually taken by the authorities, and he was taken to prison, and he was accused of all these different things that he didn't do. Drug trafficking, illegally passing out Bibles, all these different things. And you know the story. If you don't know the story... Um, Go to Audioverse and look up his name and look up the sermon Hijacked, and it tells all the details. It's a really inspiring sermon. But this story really um, has inspired me in my walk with God. He had to come to a point in that prison. He was, he was giving medical care to the people, and he was trying to meet the people's needs, but he didn't know how long he was going to be there. He thought he might be there indefinitely. In fact, they told him that he was under um, what they were trying to do is put him in for 14 years. You know, and he had a wife, kids, a thriving ministry. He's just starting his ministry. He was back in his 20s. How, how, God, can you let me be in prison for 14 years? You know, it was a struggle. But um, God worked on him through that experience as he sought to do what was right, even though he was hurt and struggling in his own heart. God worked through him and said, you know, David, can you trust me even if you're in prison for 14 years? And David finally came to the decision, yes, I'm going to trust you even if I'm in prison for 14 years. That was a really difficult thing. Now, amazingly, after only 10 days there, because of all the medical work he'd done and all the good deeds he had done for the group, we know that he was released, right? And he has just so, so much more powerful testimony as you, as you look back and see that. But that was um, in the beginning of his walk of faith, really, in the mission field. So... That story's really been a big inspiration to me. Now I want to share something a little bit more close to home. Um, I don't know if you see any resemblance up there, but that guy up there on the right is actually my brother. And about two years ago, while I was working out here in California in San Diego as a travel nurse, um, my mother called me and told me that my brother Daniel had been arrested. He actually was sleeping in a church parking lot, um, was woken up out of his sleep, hauled into jail for a crime that he did not commit. This is a picture um, of my mother there when she went to see him. And, you know, he was, I, I think, going to court here in his, in his orange jail suit. And he's smiling and everything. But let me just tell you a little bit about Daniel. My brother Daniel has just got the most incredible servant's heart. 
both my brothers do, actually. My dad and brothers have um, worked in um, first responder. They're on the fire department. At the time that this happened, that my brother was arrested and taken to jail, um, out of his complete sleep, um, he was actually taking an EMT course so that he could continue to reach out and help the community. And he's just such a servant. He's such a, a sweet Christian. And his response to mother when, when, when she first talked to him, she says, Mom, I don't know why I'm here, but God must have a reason for me to be here, and I'm just going to be a witness. And that was his response. Of course, we were all like, you know, this is not fair. This is, you know, when we found out what they were charging him with. Um, so it was, a really, it was a really tough position for us. Um, he was a witness. In that jail, the other guys that were there are like, you know, this kid's not supposed to be here. What's the deal? You know, he shouldn't be here. Um, he was a witness. He got horribly sick in the process. Um, but he was there 10 days, same amount of time that David Gates was in prison. He was in, in jail 10 days. And actually, the prosecutor that was um, on his case, very sad situation, was a very corrupt man, and he actually had it out against Christians. He does have it out against Christians. And he's known in the area for um, dealing very harshly with anyone that, that expresses any symbolism of faith. Um, so this was a really tough situation on him. So he basically was nailing all these things with him that were totally false and just would not, would not give up. We did not know what was going to happen. But we're praying and pleading with God and, and all of us in our family. You know, I think Daniel had a better attitude than we did. You know, he was there. He's like, I'm just going to be a witness. I know God's in control. And we're all like, yes, we know he is, but <laughs> how are we going to get him out of here? You know, it was a really, a really stressful situation. And, um, However, God delivered him. And at the end of that 10 days, um, he came home. He was really sick. Um, the prosecutor told my family, I don't know what's going on, but, but people must be praying. Um, and, and there's a reason. Um, I, I can just tell that God is with your family. And he's not with me. I don't serve God. He's not with me. And actually, an interesting um, follow-up on the fact, the prosecutor ended up losing his job because of this case. Um, and he no longer works there in the area. I'm not sure if he works at all. But just a test of faith that all our family had to come to and say, are we going to trust you even if he stays in prison? You know, he wasn't really arrested for religious reasons, but he was unjustly unjustly arrest, um, arrested. And it was just a really difficult experience, especially when you see someone, you know, they're like, you, you know they're so innocent and they could, couldn't do this. And so it was, it was hard. So that was one really tough experience for me just last year or two years ago. Another experience, um, some of you probably recognize these people. They're the Hollands, and they're Sonny and I's adoptive family that we've been blessed to, um, to share together. I've lived with them basically since I um, started college and um, worked with them at Oklahoma Academy and just had a lot of great experiences. And they've just been a huge blessing in my life. However, about seven years ago, Mrs. Holland, my mom Holland, um, found out that she had colon cancer. And I've told some of you guys this experience before, but um, it was just so hard to comprehend because she lives a very healthy lifestyle, um, vegan, does all the right things, all these different things, and we find out she has colon cancer. And what was worse is the doctor gave her, he thought it had already spread all through her system and everything, and he gave her 50% survival rate. And he said, probably this time next year you won't have her, but, you know, we can give her such and such. 
a percent. And when this happened, I mean, it was just devastating to all of us. It's like, God, what are you doing? You know, how can this happen? You know, of course, yes, it happens to other people and everything, but it can't happen to us, right? It happens to everyone else, but not to us. And so when this happened, um, this was a huge, a huge faith experience for me. And I've shared this before, but um, one day I was driving to the hospital to take care of her and be with her during the time she was having surgery and everything. And um, I was crying, bawling my eyes out. I'm just like, God, you know, I just can hardly grasp my heart around the fact that I might lose her, that we might lose her. And it was like God was saying, Melody, can you trust me? And the, the story came to my mind, and I don't know why it came to my mind, but it came to my mind in Daniel 3, where the three worthies are, are standing before the king, and they won't bow down, and they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace if they don't bow down. And they're challenged. If you don't bow down, you're going to die. You're going to be burned. And what was their response? Their response was, was this. If it be so, this is from 317, and this passage has been so impacting in my life. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, even if he doesn't deliver us, be it known unto the be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And they made a decision there, no matter whether they had to walk into that fire or not, they were going to serve God, right? And that's the decision that we all have to make. And that's what this experience really brought to me. It was like God was saying, Melody, even if you have to walk through the fire, I will be with you. Can you trust me? And this was just, you know, phenomenal for me to be able to say, yes, God, through tears. <laughs> so I'm bawling my eyes out, going to see uh, my mom, Holland. Yes, God, I'll trust you, even if she does not live. So we're all given a time of, um, of, prob- of probation in our lives as God's developing um, developing our faith. Will we trust him? And just this evening, um, basically, I'm going to be talking um, in verses from Genesis. I'm going to be talking about the battle of flesh versus faith and the battle of the heart. And we'll just go to um, Genesis 15 to start with. Yeah, another story that just comes to my mind as I'm thinking here, all these different stories, how God worked. Um, We just think of what happened with Alistair last year at GYC. And when he was suddenly incapacitated in the hospital and couldn't move and, and didn't know what God was doing, and he too had that same battle in his heart. Um, God's saying, can you trust me even if you're going to be this way the rest of your life? And that, was just, that was just incredible testimony, and that, that uh, story's really impacted me too. If you want to hear Alice, Alistair's testimony again um, on audio verse, there's a sermon called When Troubles Come. That's just awesome. So turning to the Bible, Genesis 15, um, I'm talking about um, Ishmael and Isaac, the two sons of Abraham, and the different journey that Abraham took um, in their being born. We see here in um, Genesis 15 how God had promised Abraham 
saying, I'm thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house? Is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, Behold to me, I'm reading in verse 3 now, Thou hast given me no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. But behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now towards the heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed, or Abraham believed in the Lord, and he counted it unto him for righteousness. However, time went on. As time seems to go when God, you know, God says in his word something, but then it's like time goes on, and you don't see it come true right away, right? And so time goes on, and they have no children. Many years go on. And so Sarah's getting older, and kind of like, you know, well, maybe we should do something to help God out, right? Maybe we need to help him out. So in 16.1, it says, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in, in unto my maid, that it may, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened unto the voice of Sarah, skipping down to four. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. So there we see um, that Abraham had a child with Hagar. But... Was that the child that God had in mind for the covenant? No, we all know that. Um, Moving to verse 17, uh, or chapter 17. And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Verse 6, And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make the nations of thee, and kings shall come of thee. And so he goes on and on. And then moving down to, um, let's see here. 17, 16 through 21. Okay. And I will bless her. Again, um, God's talking about Sarah. And I will bless her and give her a son also. Give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell on his face, and he laughed. And he said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Did you see what, what Abraham just said there? This has just really um, impacted me when I realized what was happening here. Basically, Abraham has gone ahead of God's working, right? And in his own strength, he's had that son. And now he's saying, God, can't you bless Ishmael? Can't you bless my own works, my own flesh, the works of my own flesh? Now, God right there could could have obviously knocked Abraham down and said, you know, Oh, ye of little faith. How many times have I told you? But God's response is, Sarah, thy wife, 
shall bear thee a son. And he goes on and repeats that again. My covenant I will establish with that son. As for Ishmael, I've heard thee. Before, behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he begat, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this time next year. And it just goes on. We see this, um, this back and forth battle. And it was really a battle of the heart, right? Because Abraham, just like all of us, he was struggling. Can God really do what he said that he would do in his word? And God, God challenges him. I like the verse in um, chapter 18, verse 14. It says, is anything too hard for God? God says, at the appointed time, I will return. When we skip over to um, Genesis 21, it tells us that God did fulfill his word. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at that set time which God had spoken unto him. (coughs) So God um, fulfilled his promise. Now, the next test, I I don't know if you guys have noticed in your life, but I've really seen that when God tests us on one area and we don't pass the test, he brings it back around again. Have you ever noticed that? Have you noticed that? Yeah. When you don't pass the test in trust and faith of God, you can pretty much know he's going to test you again. And the next time, it may be even harder. And so we see that test. And I'm not going to read all the verses here because I, I want to keep moving along here. But in Genesis 22... Where God says um, in the second verse, Take now thine son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I shall tell thee of. Here God is telling Abraham to take the son that he has waited all his life for, and he loves with all his heart, and go and offer him. And here we see the battle again in in, um, Abraham's heart. Am I going to trust God, or am I going to trust myself? Now this time, we have no record of Abraham arguing with God. We have no record of him saying, but God, I waited a long time for this promise. Look at all the miracles you've done. Surely you cannot take this miracle away from me now. God got up that very morning. I mean, Abraham, sorry. Abraham got up that very morning, and he took his son Isaac, And he took the wood, and they went. And when he had his son upon the altar, God says, Lay not thy thy hand upon thine son. Why could God do that before he killed him? Well, we all know it's because he had already sacrificed him in his heart, right? He had already let go of him in his heart. So that's just a a really powerful um, story, which I know that we're all familiar with, but it's, I think, really good to look back. But going on to the next generation, um, Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And um, you can find their story in Genesis 26 through 32. And basically here, um, we know that Jacob, the younger son, was to receive the birthright of God. But um, didn't look like that was going to happen. Isaac called his sons together or called Esau to him and said, you know, I'm getting old. I want to bless thee, so go and bring the Vincent, and I will bless thee. And so what does Jacob's mother do? 
She says, Jacob, Jacob, come, come. Your father's about to give the blessing to your older brother. We have to do something. So I want you to go and get one of our goats, and um, we'll, we'll put skins on your arms, and I'm going to cook this up just the way your father likes it, and we're going to take it before him, and you're going to receive the blessing because you're supposed, to be, you're supposed to be the one that receives that blessing, not Esau. We both know that. And Jacob questioned her a little, but she says, you know, don't worry about it. You know, the curse is upon me. Um, we're just going to do this. So he did. Obviously, he didn't ask God. He didn't pray about it or anything like that. He just went forward and did that. And um, the curse did fall, fall upon uh, Rebecca because, as we know, she never saw her, her son living again. He actually had to go to exile um, to another country <coughs> and um, didn't return for many years. And the tares that had been sown in that act of presumption or that act of the flesh. And that's what I'm trying to contrast here is the, is the, the battle that we have between the flesh and um, faith. Um, he reaped that result for many years. So in Genesis 32, we see finally Jacob is coming back. He's coming back to his home country with his wives and his children and all his, um, all his cattle, sheep. And... Um, Suddenly he gets a message that Esau, his brother, is coming to meet him with over 400 men. <clears throat> now, I don't know about you, but that would make my heart a little faint. <laughs> to know that I'm going home and I have an army of 400 men that are coming to meet me. So, it did make Jacob a little bit faint. But notice his reaction this time, and this is what I think is so awesome. Reading down um, in Genesis 32... Um, he was greatly afraid, verse 7. Um, and then in verse 9, he says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saidest unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I'm not worthy of the least of all thy mercies and of the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I'm become two bands. But deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother. So he calls out to God. And then he separates his company and goes about the best that he knows how to do. And then that night, he goes to pray. And what happens? An angel starts wrestling with him. But he doesn't know that. At first he thinks it's an enemy. So he's wrestling for his life, thinking he's about to lose his life. <coughs> and um, the angel wrestles with him. But then he realizes who he is. And he won't let go of him. So here we see um, Genesis 32 and verse 26. And he said, the angel said, let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And the angel said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be no more called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. Now, again, I saw this verse, and um, as I was studying it a while back, I'm like, okay, what, what made the difference in this story? For as a prince hast thou power with God and man. Does that mean that Jacob was somebody important, and so God delivered him? What's, what's going on here? Well, if you, actually, um, if you actually look up the word in the Hebrew from Genesis 32, 28, 
The word power literally comes from being earnest and to persevere. Being earnest and to persevere. And that's um, what I really want to focus on tonight when I talk about or when I share about faith and growing in faith. Um, We have to have a perseverance. Not just now, but for the times that are going ahead. You, you know, the, the quote I started with, the season of distress and anguish will, of before us will require a faith that can endure weariness, delay, and hunger. A faith that will not try, faint those severely tried. This quote from the Great Controversies really affected me a lot over the years as I've thought, God, how can I have this faith? You know, how can I grow in such a faith that I'm not going to faint? And then it goes on in that same quote to talk about Jacob and his battle with the angel. And then it says, All who will lay hold of God's promises as he did and be as earnest and persevering as he was will succeed as he succeeded. Isn't that encouragement? It's, it's not in our own strength. We can't even lay hold of God's promises in our own strength. But we can lay hold and claim his strength. And that's incredible thing. I just love looking at promises of faith, and I'm not going to go through all of these here. I don't even know if you can read them all on the screen, but there are so many promises in the Bible. And like I've shared before, when I first started to discover this for myself when I was in high school, I was just like totally, um, totally overwhelmed by all the promises that God has in his word. Just look, John 16, 24. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Luke 1, 37. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Matthew 9, 29. According to your faith be it unto you. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he's faithful that promised. Um, Matthew 17, 20. If you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed. Genesis 18, 14. We read that already this evening. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Jeremiah thirty two seventeen says, Ah, oh, the Lord God, you've made the heavens, you've stretched out the galaxies. Is anything too hard for you? No, nothing is too hard for you. That's an awesome uh, um, group of verses there in Jeremiah 32. Ephesians three twenty. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. 1 Peter three twelve. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. To show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. That's been an incredible promise to me. So many times I've wanted to fight back for myself. I've like, this isn't right. This isn't the way it should be happening. You know, I need to say something. I need to step up a little bit here. And God's been like, I'll fight for you. You be quiet. You claim my words. You hold on to me. That's been seriously a lifesaver and number of situations. And then Matthew twenty four thirteen, He that shall endure to the end shall be saved. Um, before I close, though, I want to share just a couple more quick stories. And this is, I think, really the battle where the rubber really meets the road with us. We know as a Christian that God has all these promises in his word. But what about when things don't work out? I know we've all had disappointments in our lives. We've all had heartbreaks? What about when things don't go the way that they're supposed to? Um, Does that mean maybe our faith wasn't great enough? Um, A number of years ago, I had a friend that was a missionary in Mexico. A really awesome lady, family, children. And she was attacked, raped, and beaten by by a group of guys. 
Why did God allow that to happen? Um, I also had a very close friend to me um, back when I was in academy. Her name was Debbie, and she was actually um, one of Holland's girls before the rest of us girls became part of their, their little family. Debbie also had colon cancer. And she didn't find this out till she was like 23 or something like this. And um, she went through two or three years, I don't remember how long, of just battling and battling and had surgery, had treatments, all this different stuff, and it just kept going downhill and downhill and downhill. Until um, Thanksgiving Day, actually, um, 1997, I guess it was, she died. And again, you know, I'm just like, God, why? She was such a good Christian, doing the right things, all these different things. She was so young. That did not make sense. Um, I talked about Alistair earlier and what happened at GYC, you know, him being in the hospital, all of that, and how God delivered. But as many of you probably know, the other part of the story is is he had a good friend and college roommate um, from college at Ashita um, that was actually killed on the way home from GYC. And from everything I've heard, he was a wonderful Christian godly guy. Why did God let him die? Um, Something really personal in my life happened a number of years ago. Um, All of us have dreams. We have dreams of, you know, probably the guys dream more about having security in a job. Well, the girls probably dream more about having security in a relationship. And I had my dreams about security in a relationship. Um... Growing up, there happened to be a guy in my life, and um, not really share this story with a lot of people, but I just think it's, it's just really an encouragement if I do, so I'm going to take time to be a little bit more personal this evening. But there was a guy in my life that I was really good friends with, and he came from a godly home. And when I was only 13 years old, my parents told me, Melody, we think this is going to be the man that you're going to marry someday. And uh, we were just good friends, kind of brother-sister, and I, I just scoffed and laughed. I just laughed it off. And, um, but as I, as I began to get older, I started to agree. I really did. He, he's um, a great guy. And the, the interesting thing was is we both um, wanted to spend our lives in full-time ministry, and we had a lot of things that were in common. And um, however the years went on, and while we stayed good friends, he actually never stepped forward to, um, to make any initiative in the relationship. So I just quietly waited and prayed and prayed and waited. And this went on for eight years. Eight years until finally he married one of my close friends in college. And you can imagine the questions. Now, I have to be honest and say, I was really happy for them. He got an awesome girl. I told them right away when they started dating, you know, that I was totally supportive of their friendship. And um, it it was definitely a match made in heaven. But um, as time went on, um, I began to feel betrayed by God. How could you let me pray and wait and think for so long that this was going to be the guy that I was going to marry, that I was going to spend my life with? 
How could you allow that? Well, he didn't say in his word, you and um, Eric are going to be married one day. He didn't say that. But just all the different providential workings and the things that were going on in our life, I just thought, this is going to be the guy. And so I had faithfully um, prayed and waited. Um, However, well, it was a really tough time to go through. Um, God asked me during this time. You remember back um, when Mom Holland had cancer and you thought she was going to die and the test you had to come to? What was that? That was, are you going to trust God? Are you going to trust me even if I don't work things out according to what you think is best? Even if I don't fulfill your dreams or your desires like I think is best? And... um, God's just said to me through this experience, will you trust me even now? Now, I have to be honest and say it took me a couple years for, for me to be able to say, yes, God, I'm going to trust you. It really did. Um, but looking back, um, by the way, he and his wife are, are still really good friends with me today. We're, we're very good friends. I consider them among my closest friends. And um, they actually asked me to be in their wedding. And believe it or not, I was in their wedding. Um, and God gave me the strength and the grace that I needed to do that. But God had to work with me through that situation. And something I really realized in that situation, um, looking back, I know that God was leading totally. You know, he got the girl that he needed to marry. She got the guy that she needed to marry. And God has other plans for me. But I realized in that situation that God was using, using him as a tool in my life. Um, to accomplishing something else. It wasn't, it wasn't the destination. Eric was not God's destination. But he was a tool to draw me closer to God. Um, we're familiar with the verses John 16, 33. Actually, oh my. One more thing to share. You guys recognize this book? Fox's Book of Martyrs. Okay, this is a really heavy-duty book. I started reading this a few years ago. I have to admit I haven't gotten all the way through it. Um, I've just read stories here and there. Um, Because, to be honest, I didn't feel and don't feel like I have the faith that can be a martyr for God. You know, that's my desire. That's my heart. That, God, I want to be so strong in faith that I'm willing to die for you. (laughs) But I don't feel like I have it. I'm scared to death you know, of, of whatever might come ahead in the future, whatever torture they might have or whatever, you know. And um, so I started reading this book just praying, God, please, please use these stories to give me strength. And these stories have been such, um, such an inspiration. There's a beautiful family here called the Staines family. And um, I know you probably can't see that here real well from a distance. But anyway, they're from Australia. And they were working in India um, back in 1999, just a few years ago. Um, in a leprosy colony, and just had clinics that they had developed and all these incredible things um, that they were doing for God, and the people loved them. They were really making a big impact. One, um, one day, Mr. Stain and his, um, not his wife, um, his two sons went on a trip to um, a village that was further away from their headquarters to work with the leprosy um, patients, and just were having a good time there. However, one night, um, a group of um, Muslims came, radical Muslims, and came specifically to attack him and his family, and they knew that they were there doing mission work. And again, they were doing medical mission work, you know, 
you have to be careful how you relate in these closed countries. And um, so that's what they were doing. And they came, they slashed the tires, they broke through the windows, they stabbed him and his boys repeatedly, and then they set the vehicle on fire and they burned to death. Just (laughs) an incredible, heartbreaking story. And um, I was just reading this again this evening, so I would be up on my my facts on the story. And um, this is the response... Of the, of the wife. Asked if she would now leave India and their work with the lepers, she replied, Never. My husband and our children have sacrificed their lives for this nation. India is my home. I'm happy to be here. I hope to die here and be buried with them. That story, just I'm sorry, I, I can't even read that part without getting a little choked up. And seeing the love and the forgiveness and all that they could display. And why could they do that? Because they had a faith in God that would not die. And they knew ultimately he had a plan. And she knew ultimately, even though she loved, even though she left, I can't even get out what I'm trying to say, even though she lost her love in this life, her husband and two of her children, she knew that God had a reward. And this is something that, um, as I close this evening, it seems like when we talk about faith, it's easy to talk about it. It's easy to read the promises and all these things. But when things happen in our lives that don't make sense, that hurt us, we start saying, why, God? Why? How can you allow this? If this is the type of God you are, I'm not going to trust you. How could you do this? You know, aren't you supposed to be a loving God? Well, you know what? God is a loving God, and we know that, but we also live in a world of sin. And um, these verses, John sixteen thirty three says, In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good courage, because I've overcome the world. I've overcome. And then in Matthew 24, 7 and 9, talks about the signs of the end, the distress of nation and all these different things. And then what happens next? He says, and they're going to um, deliver you, capture some of you, deliver you, and even take some of you to be killed. And God tells us in his word that this is what's ahead for God's people. To be killed. Not necessarily all of them. He says some of you will be killed. Now is that very encouraging? <laughs> it's not. But we're told that this is, um, this is what's in store. And yet in Romans eight twenty eight says, All things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. That doesn't necessarily mean all things are good, but all things work together for good. And um, something I've realized um, recently as I've been thinking about growing in faith and how can, how can we grow in faith and all these different things, what ultimately is God's will for us? It's not, contrary to what we may think, that our skin be saved alive. It's not that our houses and possessions be saved alive. It's not any of these things. Ultimately, uh, if you want to really quickly, you can turn to this verse, and this is just sums it all up. First Thessalonians 4, verses 3 and 7 is what I'm going to focus on. First Thessalonians 4, 3 and 7. When we realize ultimately what God's will for our lives is, it helps whatever we have to go through in, in all these different circumstances. For this is the will of God even your sanctification, 
that ye should abstain from fornication. And then skipping down to verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, it's not encouraging finding out that some of us are going to be killed and we're going to have more hard times to go through and all these things, but realizing God's ultimate will is our sanctification. And he's going he's gonna to allow things to happen, whatever is going to accomplish that purpose in our lives and in other people's lives. And, you know, all these different things that I've talked about tonight, you know, from my friend that got raped to my friend that died of cancer um, to, to my disappointment, you know, um, and the fact, realizing that um, God's ultimate goal for me was not Eric, but his ultimate goal for me was my sanctification. And that process has helped accomplish or is helping accomplish that that goal, but realizing um, God has a purpose, but we can't always understand all these different things. So during probation, how do we acquire faith strong enough to die for? You guys can tell me this all off the top of your head. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. So continuing that quote in Great Controversy, which I started with in 621, um, goes on to say, talking about Jacob's struggle with God. When waves of despair, which no language can express, sweep over the suppliant, how few cling with unyielding faith to the promises of God. How few. So the question um, that I just closed with this evening that I'm hoping to challenge as we think about the vital signs of life and of being whole spiritually. Each one of these aspects of this circle has to be whole. We have to have Christ in the center of our lives. We have to have a faith that will not falter, a life of prayer, an obedience, and a witness to have this circle rolling completely and working smoothly. So the question is, is can we look to God rather than our flesh? We have to, in our lives, be able to do this. When waves of despair come across us, when um, things happen like Alistair recovers or when Luke was killed, um, when God works miracles to help someone recover from disease and others die, we have to be able to trust him. And this is my, my greatest goal and my greatest prayer and passion is God, build in me a faith that will trust you no matter what comes. And he's given us a probation. And I'm still, still working on that probation period, but we all are. And um, so that's my encouragement for you this evening, that you'll grow in your faith, build your verse of promises, but don't just build them. Um, claim them. And when the hard times come, look to them. Look to God as the strength. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you again that we can gather here this evening and um, recount stories from your word of faith and look and see how you have led in the lives of the past. And Father, you, you can do so now and you will do so even now. And Father, we just give our hearts to you and our lives to you and we ask that you would increase our faith. We are so weak. We're so faltering. But Father, you are strength. You are power. And we are told to look to you for our might and our strength to the Holy Spirit. Father, we just ask and we plead this evening that you would fill our lives with trust, that flesh would be subdued, and that you would be the victor and the conqueror in our lives. We give ourselves to you this evening. Thank you in your precious name. Amen.